welcome back. Oh, we're here, episode thirty-nine. Yeah, a lot's been going on. Yeah, I mean we're we're super busy. Oh yeah, busy mm-hmm. uh, for the next six months. Yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll catch up a little bit with the, the listeners out there. Yeah, um, give everybody a little uh, look into what's been going on in the shop. Yeah, um, so let's see. This isn't too far out. This is actually uh, oh, will be coming out a week from tomorrow. So yeah. Um, so uh, when you're listening to this, uh, this week we delivered the the big walnut cabinet. You know, painted on the outside with the doors. <laughs> painted. Everybody's got a problem with that. That's how I designed it, and you can deal with it. Yeah. Um. Because what, what, are we going to make it out of plywood? I know. Then What's it's a the piece difference? of junk. You know, as far as like uh, the, you know, the final appearance of it, right? You know? Um, yeah. How am I going to get a walnut inside and paint it outside right. Right. without building out a walnut? There's no two ways, but people wouldn't have a problem if it was made out of plywood. I guess. Build it out of, uh, yeah, I don't know. Solid walnut interior with plywood on the outside. Yeah, that that wouldn't work because then we get into all the movement issues. Mm-hmm. You know, movement. Huh? movement. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we're getting into that, and then uh, tomorrow for us, last week for you, we're going up to the next job that we're going to be working on. We got to verify in the field, you know, a bunch of measurements. Be doing. You know, uh, let's see, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 some odd linear feet of faux beams, a banquette, a bench, a fireplace around. Um, the faux beams are like, what, 14 feet in the air? Yeah, the ridge is about 14 feet. Um, so that's like a 35-foot ridge beam. And then uh, eight, eight, uh, you know, faux rafters. Uh, Manny and Brian have been working on the the steel sculpture for that for the bar. We gotta get glass for that. I forgot. Yeah. Um, for the bar cabinet is by somebody else. Um, so we got that job. That's uh, we gotta get moving on that because we're installing that in less than a month. We're build also building a sectional sofa for that, which got to bring up to Jim up in Jersey City to be yeah. upholstered. We're building like the caucus, the right, plywood yeah. caucus of an upholstered piece. Yep. But um, it's like five or six pieces, if I remember the drawings. Yeah, one, two, three, four, yeah, five. Um, so it's a four-piece sectional with a like a integrated table kind of thing mm-hmm. that slides. So that should be cool. Then uh, we got a little basement job. We're building like a suite of cabinets for that. Trying to pry some information out of them <laughs> as to the hardware that they want. I don't know what's so difficult about it. Brown modern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then I guess after that, probably getting into the boxes, which we, we started, you know, doing sort of a, some setup for. Yeah, we got a new, I won't call it a toy. We got a new machine, a serious machine. Yeah, so uh, yesterday we got uh, our laser, Boss LS. 1630. Yeah. Um, crated, it was about 800 pounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, the truck driver <laughs> sneered at us. <laughs> they all do. As they all do. You know, How are you going to do that? For, for those that don't know, the shop is behind my house. So um, you got to go. How long is the driveway? About 200 feet, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's maybe 100 yards total to yeah. from the street all the way back to the shop. So that's so 300 feet. It's a gravel driveway. Sounds like a helicopter. Sounds like it's in my basement. Yeah. Um, so we don't have a forklift. You know, we have to bring whatever is out there on the street back to the shop, whether that's by offloading it into our van or your pickup truck. By and, hooker, and, by crook. And in this case, we have a little flatbed trailer, something like you'd see in a people bringing like yard equipment on. Nothing heavy duty. Just a Yeah, it's a four by eight. Single axle, uh, I think it's from Harbor Freight. We bought yeah. it used. Like, it comes in like a box, and you put it together. Yeah. But we keep it behind the shop, and it's come in handy countless times. Oh, yeah. Um, We've moved almost everything with that. <laughs> so, they come, and we ask for a lift gate. 
And they they act like we're supposed to have a forklift, even though we paid for a lift gate. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's why we paid for lift gate service. Right. Well, I can't put that down on that trailer. You know what cracked me up is he goes, it's not really made to lift. It's made to go down. I'm like, it's called a lift gate. (laughs) (laughs) But they, they, I mean, every truck driver, except the ones that come to us regularly, they always put up a fuss every time they got to do a little bit of thinking or. And we didn't even even asking them to do anything, you know, like just, okay, put it on a lift gate. Yeah. And then back the truck up to the trailer. Drop the lift gate, and we're going to shove it onto the trailer. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. I told him, I said, it's not our, our first rodeo. We've done this about a half a dozen times with things that are bigger than this. Yes. We got the the wide belt sander on there, and that thing was so top-heavy. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, 24 by 24 by 8 feet high. Yes, with a lot of weight up top. Yeah. Um, so we we get it. We uncrate it. And, you know, we're slow and methodical and we look at it and we say, how should we do this? And uh, there's the wife. uh, (laughs) And we got it into the shop and fired it up. Yeah. It had a little bit of damage. The uh, one of the the feet and it has, you know, leveling, big leveling feet, like three foot diameter leveling feet and and casters, four inch casters or something had actually gone through the bottom of the crate. where there wasn't a skid, I don't know if it shifted or what, and and the the one caster got damaged. The, we got a new one on the way, so nothing, no big issue. I mean, we were able no to push it into the things, shop. Yeah. It wasn't. It's just kind of you know when you get a caster that doesn't really move right anymore. So we could just lift up the that leveling leg. We'll put the new caster on. You know, be a five minute fix. Yeah, they sent us a new uh, focal lens. Also for free as sort of a little token of their appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say uh, really good customer service over there. Steven is a gentleman we were dealing with. He, you know, first time I called, I didn't know anything. He walked me through the different lasers, the sizes, the capabilities, um, then ended up calling back and talking to him to actually order the one that we decided to go with, which wasn't even one that we had spoken about originally. Um Super fast. I mean, they built... So they all the components and everything are made overseas. And then they assemble um, them in Florida and, you know, run tests and everything. So it's uh, it's not made in the USA. It's like a, one of those, like, global materials kind yeah, of things, I guess. assembled in the USA. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's an expensive laser. So unless you want to spend $20,000 on a laser, it's probably about as good as you're going to get is, mm-hmm. is assembled here. Um, it looks really nice, like inside all the servo motors. Oh, and yeah. All the, the fit and finish is really nice. It doesn't have that stink on it, like stuff. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever bought anything, like my 3D printers, I mean, they reek. They smell horrible. Uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, they, Something like, that happens on the boat. Yeah, I think. You know, they coat everything in these sort of like anti-corrosion things because who knows, it might be stuck out on a shipping, uh, in a shipping container for a month out at, out at sea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, seem pretty happy. We're still figuring it out. We really don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, we're, we're getting there though. Mm-hmm. I just said to Chad, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a, like a lot of good information on the internet, at least where I'm looking. Like YouTube, there's not... There's only a couple people really doing videos about lasers and uh, and these type of lasers specifically. Um, so I don't know. It's a little trial and error. Error. Maybe we could reach out to uh, to Steven. Yeah, he might have some advice because they seem to know the machines pretty well. So we went with this because uh, we figured we're going to need customer service and having us based customer service going to make things a lot easier. Like you call and, and somebody picks up the phone. Like it's not mm-hmm. even like there's no automated thing at all. It's like dial the number. Hello, boss laser. <laughs> not like, thank you for calling boss laser. Please listen to our menu. The following options. <laughs> if you need a new lens, press three. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's worth it's weight in gold. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, most of the times you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it wasn't cheap. It was eleven thousand bucks, but 
Uh, I think it'll be worth it. We got it. We're we're pretty close to where we want to be on the boxes. You know, mm -hmm. we dove in head first and started cutting stuff um, to get geared up for these boxes because once we start, we don't want to be. Once we start, we want to be started. Yeah. Not like like oh, we got to do a test and this and that. No, no. we want to just jump in and and do it. Make them make we a thousand. We got to make a thousand of these boxes. Um, I guess we didn't talk about that. If if you don't know, so I guess some people don't follow us on social no. media. Uh, we are building a thousand finger jointed boxes. They're salt cellars made to hold your, you know, salt for cooking. Um, it's a collaboration with Three Dot Wood Design, um, which is a collaborative effort of uh, Adam and Brad, um, Adam Papanesser and Brad Leone. Brad Leone is. Um, I guess he's still part of Bon Appetit. As far as I know, he's uh, he was like the kitchen manager at Bon Appetit, mm -hmm. which is, you know, very famous magazine, cooking magazine. And they have all these web series and stuff, uh, which he um, sort of breakout star from. Um, and Ken, uh, Kenji Lopez, who's another chef, um, and $25 out of every box was donated to No Kid Hungry. So $25,000 got donated to No Kid Hungry you know, in the effort to, uh, combat childhood hunger. Um, so yeah, we're building a thousand of them. They're already, they're sold. They sold in 24 hours. Yeah. So it won't be the, won't be the last, you know, we'll definitely be doing another run of at least a thousand. <laughs> yes. I, I think. <clears throat> we'll get our practice in on this thousand. Yeah. Maybe we could do 7,000 in a week. Sell seven, <laughs> sell 7,000. <000. laughs> we won't be able to make them in a week. Oh no, definitely not. We're figuring it's going to take a month yeah. to make a thousand. So, yeah, we'll see. That's, That's uh, what? 50 a day. 50 a day. Put it that way. We could do it. Yeah. Going to be a lot of cutting at first. Then once they're all cut, you know, cut and assembled. Yeah. I mean, no, no two ways about it. It's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, after that. Those will be for like an early November delivery, Ho hopefully sooner. Hopefully we can get them done sooner for them. Um, we have big job, real big job in the Hamptons now. It's gotten even bigger. Mm -hmm. Fines came today. We talked about some more stuff. Uh, got to price out a couple more things. Um, two flanking, two, you know, units flanking a fireplace in the great room, matching, you know, mirrored images, uh, two vanities, a big nine foot vanity, uh, just a regular 24 inch vanity, big walnut countertops, maple countertop, uh, foyer, coat closet, you know, like a freestanding coat closet, piece of furniture. So yeah, it's another big one. We're going to have to rent a truck to get it all out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the van is big, but we, we're not going to be able to get all that in there. No. Especially with all our tools and everything, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, holiday in the Hamptons. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't snow. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm looking forward to? What's up? Stopping in Brooklyn for the culinary <laughs> tour. We're not going to have any time. We're going to have to leave <laughs> extra early. <laughs> like a four-hour drive. I know. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to stop a rolling roaster. It's right on the way. Mm. I mean, that's like one of those uh, roast beef sandwiches. They dip the bun right into oh, the juice. Yeah, French oh, dip. man. It's so good. I'm not going to be able to work after that. We're going to hit on the way back. Yeah, and then the fries with cheese, that fake cheese sauce. Oh, yeah. Oh, little God. Cheese was... oh man. It's yeah, good. That good. It's good. Yeah, and then that that'll put us into 2023. We have another job that Donnie Douglas wasn't too happy to hear that we're booking for next year. Yeah, that we're gonna have to try and squeeze in there somewhere. It's not not that small of a job. No, I don't know how they're gonna have to add another month to the calendar. Be working nights and weekends. It looks like. Yeah, they're gonna have to pay us overtime. Yeah. <laughs> Triple time. That's right. <laughs> you know, hazard pay. Yeah. So, yeah, there's your 15-minute recap on what we got going on. Uh, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't talk about Bits and Bits? We didn't thank Bits and Bits. What do you know about Bits and Bits? I know that they are um, 
uh, one of the, well, not one of, they are the only company that has a proprietary coating and Astro coating that they apply to their own bits as well as white side bits. That's right. And they actually, they manufacture their own, yeah, spiral bits uh, from one thirty second cut to half inch cut. Yeah. And they also uh, sell Festool accessories. Your uh, dominoes and such, your, uh, you know, Festool consumables, router yes. accessories, domino accessories, um, all that kinds of good stuff. And if you use our coupon code American Craftsman, you can save 15% over on their website. They're U.S. located, so they're good local. Yeah, they're out in Oregon. Um, super fast shipping. We always get their stuff really fast. Uh, yeah, that's our go-to spot for, for router bits. That, that's exactly the truth. I mean, yeah. we, we use them. If we need a bit, we just... We don't really need to shop around. Yeah, they always have. I mean, obviously, you want to use our coupon code, but they always have a a good coupon code, um, so you always you know knock off fifteen percent mm -hmm. off your order. So the prices are really good. Whiteside bits are not cheap, and their bits their bits are actually really really well priced. Um, but yeah, you know when you're buying a hundred and fifty hundred dollar router bit <clears throat> to knock off fifteen percent is it's really good. So it is. Uh, check them out. Stop using that <clears throat> crap from Home Depot. Oh, it's burned up after one shot. These, you know, you can get them sharpened. They'll last way longer before they ever need to be sharpened. So they, they pay for themselves. Especially if you're running a CNC router, anything like that. Um, they have all the feeds and speeds, all that kind of stuff. So check them out. Just in general, the the, the Astro coating is a biggie because it keeps, keeps the bits cooler. Yep. And if you've ever had a bit from, let's say, like, um, I, I guess I shouldn't say a name, but... Home Depot, <clears throat> you know, one of the one of the inexpensive purveyors of uh, bits and things like that. Yanico. Use it once or twice, and it's got that burned edge on oh, it. Oh yeah. I mean, it then becomes, it, it's like anodized. <laughs> it, it's useless then after that. So yeah. what's the what's the point? It's yeah. Not only are you wasting your money, but you're throwing that now in the landfill. Mm -hmm. Or in a drawer like <laughs> us, and then you have. A drawer with 300 router bits in it. And <coughs> Almost about, did a spit take there. We, you got to get rid of every single one of them because they're just all junk. So we're slowly, uh, as we need, we just buy a good bits and bits router bit, stick it in the yeah. drawer. Yeah. And, you know, then you don't need to have as much around. Yes. Streamline. So back to... Traditional uh, revival. Traditional revival. We're talking about the federal period today. Yeah, um... Just to uh, sort of bring everybody back up to speed, what was traditional revival? It was the design period from around 1920 to 1950 where they ran out of ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that post-war, you know, they were, just, uh, they were just totally shot out. I mean, cut them a little bit of break. They did roll through the Depression. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, come off of World War One, And two. And yeah. Uh, I Korean mean, War, I guess, was at late 50s, Yeah, right? yeah. Coming out of World War II, actually, a lot of um, that spurred, you know, what went into the modern. Yeah. Because, you know, like all the stuff that they developed for, for the war effort in World War II. Yeah. But um, uh, the traditional revival was primarily a revival of the colonial and federal periods, although... They begged, borrowed, and stole from everything that preceded them. Uh, the main difference being they did it really in a, a hacky kind of fashion. Yep. N Much like of, today. <laughs> well, you know, like I said last week, the traditional revival never really went away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, we, we kind of used 1950 as the cutoff, but it is very pervasive to to this day. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you go to Big Bob's Furniture, whatever the hell you want to do, and it, that's what it is. Yeah, especially if you're, like, over the age of whatever. Yeah. 65, you're probably... That's probably <clears throat> what you're still buying. You, yes, and you grew up with it. That's your normal furniture. You don't even... You just think of it as furniture. furniture. Yeah. You don't even know that it's, like, a, a mashup of you know, four or five different legitimate styles that mm -hmm. preceded it. 
I want to um, sit in the design room when they're like, yeah, <laughs> take this and that and this. Yeah. You know what they do? I wish I knew there's this name for writing poetry where you have all these words cut up and you like you just mix them up and oh, put them together. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what that design room is like. Yeah. Um it's so, like a, the platypus of furniture. Yeah, yeah. So what was the federal period and you know, when was it? Of course it's referring to the federal period in American history. Uh in 1783, uh, the Treaty of Paris ended the American Revolution. For those of you who don't remember... Yeah, uh, a lot of people think that it ended in 1777. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember 10th grade American <laughs> history, <laughs> the Treaty of Paris was in 1783. It, it ended the American Revolution and recognize formally the independence of the United States of America. A new nation is born, um, and uh, the country now is given a chance to begin to build its own government, constitution, traditions, and what we call the federal period begins, roughly running from about 1780 to 1820. Uh, so who's our first president? George Washington, and he's elected in 1789, just so, <laughs> again, to reiterate, not 1776. Yeah, who was the president for those first 12 years? <laughs> we didn't have one. <laughs> who was the uh, president for the first six years? <laughs> I guess George Washington was just, you know, whatever. He, yeah, he was, you know, they were hashing it all out. Yeah. Um, John Adams... The second president in 1797, uh, and Jefferson's his vice president. This is like the big names here. You could see it. Uh, Washington actually like handed over the presidency. You know, right. He, there were no term limits before that. No. And you can see now we go to eight year. Uh, we go to four years for John Adams, eight years for Jefferson, eight years for Madison. Yeah, he didn't want to. They wanted him to keep. Yeah. You know. Staying in office, but he he didn't want to. He didn't think it was a good thing for the country. How poignant! <laughs> I mean, it, 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 this is it's happened so many times as we've gone through the podcast. Just the character of people, um, yeah. compared from today to to those times. You know, we have Jefferson. Uh, as you said, from 1801 to 1809, and James Madison, 1809 to 1817. Everybody taking the full two terms. Um, Madison is worth mentioning because he co-authored the Federalist Papers with John Jay and Alexander Hamilton. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the federal period. It was, uh, the Federalist Papers were basically 85 separate essays and they were written to persuade uh, folks to adopt the constitution over the articles of confederation. Again, we're getting back to 10th grade history, but um, you know, one favors, you know, a stronger federal government while the other ones want, you know, the powers to remain in mostly in the States. Mm -hmm. That's the simplest way to put it. So we're back in the federal period. We got the second U.S. Census showing uh, a little over 5 million people, 5.3 million people, wow. and uh, almost a million slaves. Wow. About one in six people are slaves in the 18, in 1800. Does that, uh, is that three-fifths, is eight, eight, eight hundred ninety-two thousand three-fifths, or is <laughs> no, it? I think that's a head count. An actual, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, not for voting, you know, um, purposes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like when they would count population. Okay. Yeah. yeah I wasn't sure what, if the census, if they took the census numbers and then cal calculated. It yeah. Or what, they but, did that because they yeah. didn't want the South to you know, have more power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just, the hits keep coming, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, these are things we learned in high school 
But to think about them as an adult with, you know, knowledge, especially in today's times, you realize how, you know, messed up it really was and yeah. still is. And you wonder why we got all this stuff to overcome that we just didn't deal with. Uh, the Indiana Territory is formed out of the larger Northwest Territory, and the Treaty of Montef Mortefontaine is signed with France, ending we, we, we the Quasi War. For that builder. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was an undeclared war um, uh, along the East Coast and in the Caribbean, and it revolved around um, the U.S. suspending repayment of loans made by France during the Revolution. So uh, France loaned us some some dough during so the Revolution, we, we ain't paying. and we didn't pay it back. That's real nice. Um, let's see what else happens. In, in 1800, we got the Industrial Revolution. Of course, this is... You know, these are roundabout numbers. It wasn't like it didn't start on a specific day. But it's it's good to note that the Industrial Revolution is occurring around this time. Because um, in 1790, we have uh, what we consider one of the first factories in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, it's a cotton spinning mill in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And Rhode Island will become one of the furniture centers yeah. you know in newport yeah the newport um, shell yeah that's right 1798 we get the cotton gin boy eli whitney that's right ruined the middle class <laughs> all the way back in 1798 <laughs> iron industry starts growing in pennsylvania and canal and railway construction really really changes things um so we're talking about traditional revival, copying everything that came before it. Colonial and federal are the two biggies, but also in there were early American and Pennsylvania Dutch, which mm -hmm. doesn't really, in my understanding of it, and everything I see in traditional revival, the Pennsylvania Dutch doesn't really make an appearance, no, does it? No, no. That's probably starting in what the 1960s 70s mm -hmm. 80s kind of the folk art yeah kind of movement. yeah you're right that's a that's a good pin out there uh, the folk art movement um so what what's the characteristics what are the characteristics of federal furniture and what did the traditional revival rat latch on to um you know of course we're talking about furniture that was made in the federal period and um, decorative arts at this time is moving away from the more ornate look of what was the past, away from the heavy carvings, um, the massive looks of Rococo, um, uh, the Jacobean, all the things that sort of the colonial furniture we spoke about last week was kind of influenced by even... Things, um, you know, by a boy, Chippendale, mm -hmm. the carvings, the cabrioles, federal stuff. It's characterized by sharp geometric forms. Legs are almost always straight. They're not curved. There's um, contrasting veneers, geometric inlay patterns are on otherwise flat surfaces, really different from that Chippendale piece that we saw yeah. to end the show. The uh, the legs are one of the most um, distinctive things i found is when you see a piece that you know is of that time period and it has like fairly skinny, tapered, straight mm -hmm. legs, like it's almost always going to be a federal piece. Oh, yeah. Or they've, or they've taken those federal legs. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like when they had uh, pictorial motifs, it was almost always something referring back to the federal government, like eagles. Stars. Stars, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and and the, the, the geometric shapes were the basic shapes, squares, circles, triangles, rectangles. Uh, clean edges and um, just mirror the text turned to gray 
Yeah, I don't know. It could. Yeah, it looks, looks like it's gray there. I'm like, am I, am I going blind from no. looking at the laser? Um, I've been staring at that laser for two days. Yeah, right through the glass. So it, the during the federal time, they're trying to create something that seemed contained and rational and all these other things. That, you know, like intellectual. I guess might mm. be another way to to put it. That's what the world thinks of when they think of the United States. <laughs> Intellectuals. <laughs> you know, back then, they did. I guess so. You know, really, um, I mean, it was a big experiment. Yeah. You know, in, in democracy and the form of government. And not everybody was sure that it would survive. But, I mean, think about those founding fathers. They all were intellectuals. Yeah. I mean, the, the writers of the Constitution and even of the articles. Um, so back to federal furniture, it sort of, not sort of, it, it obeys the basic aesthetics of classical art and architecture, but with more modern comforts in mind. Uh and when we talk about the classical form, we're usually talking about, you know, Greek and Roman times. Mm -hmm. So those, again, were defined by rational, the rational use of geometry, strong devotion to symmetry, order and logic in, in the design. And they, they took these elements and translated that into furniture, into chairs, sofas and tables Things like that. So according to the Columbus Museum, there are several clues that a piece of furniture is from the federal period, or at least inspired by it. Contrasted dark and light veneers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Light blue interiors. Mm. I, I didn't know that. Still popular ceiling uh, color. Yeah, yeah. Clean edges and straight lines. And... If there's carvings, it'll have things like ribbons and swags, fruit baskets, yeah. <laughs> uh, grapes, wheat shafts, half moons and eagles, uh, the cornucopia, uh, which is that, uh, I guess, that, that horn like bell-shaped thing. Yeah. Uh, bell flowers, fans, and drapery. Isn't swag and drapery the same thing? Yeah, I guess so. I, I wonder if drapery would be more like something that was hanging straight down and the swag is the curve, yeah. you know? Like we saw the Chippendale uh, one piece from before with that convex. Mm -hmm. That had swags on it. Yeah. Oh, there's a couple more ca carvings. Urns and shields. Mm. Sloman so, shield. Yeah. So why? What, what drove... Um, the designers and the tastes of, uh, you know, the federal period. So in the mid 18th century, you know, let's say 1750s, Europe is becoming more and more fascinated with ancient Rome. And the reason was uh, there were archaeological excavations in 1748 that uncovered the buried city of Pompeii. So it gave people a glimpse into Roman life. Uh, and uh, each nation handled this new fascination in a different way. Uh, most Roman monuments are made of stone, and even Pompeii preserved little in the way of usable furniture. So how does neoclassicism translate into interior furnishings? You might ask yourself that question. I ask myself it constantly. <laughs> For the British, the revival in Roman interest was largely handled by architect Robert Adam, uh, who toured Rome in the 1750s, and he spent time, he observed how the rest of Europe was handling all this neoclassical um, influence, the movement, and it sort of revitalized the artistic forms of ancient Greek, Greece and Rome. Like the Clismos chair. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great example. He brings back what he's seen and learned. You know, we don't have the internet. We don't have any sort of really fast communication. So 
um, a lot of this information is funneled through just a few inv individuals. Mm -hmm. And Robert Adam goes back and he develops a distinct form of neoclassicism now called the Adamesque, which I never heard of it really. Yeah. Uh, the style was very popular in England. Um, but by that point, the American colonists were starting to reject British ideas. So Adam S. doesn't really enter America till the end of the American Revolution in 1783. They were anti-Adamesque. Yeah, anti-Adamesque. Uh, it wasn't because they were interested in uh, modeling themselves off of Britain, but they do start taking an interest in Adam S. because they wanted to model themselves on ancient Rome. Let's hope that story doesn't unfold <laughs> in the same fashion. The young American Republic wanted to create a direct parallel between themselves and the last great Republic of European history, the Roman Republic. So in a sense, federalism, uh, a federal design is a look backward to the classic Rome. It does. You know, you could see that influence in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took the long way around to saying it, but that's really it. Mm -hmm. um, American neoclassicism flourished as a way to encourage civic and national pride in the republic. So, uh, you know, creating a civic society meant filling every aspect with reminders of this proud legacy and Adamesque furnishings were adopted, altered, and translated into a distinct version of American neoclassical furniture, perfect for the homes of patriotic Republican citizens. Hmm. It, I mean, in today's divisive society, it's very hard to conjure up images of, you know, folks being so... Um, Cohesive. <laughs> Yeah, cohesive like, and proud of the country and everything and yeah. enthused. But this federal style, this new federal style. Oh, look at that. We got a faux page 10. Uh-oh. <laughs> we're, we're out of notes. <laughs> this federal style was adopted in a, in a way that people could really get behind. Yeah. Um, it... And it, it's funny to think about how, like, a, a design aesthetic could play that role even. Yeah, now there's no link between, uh, you know, the interior design of your home and the state of the country or your level of patriotism. It, they're totally not linked right. in any way, and you would never even think them to be. Right. Nowadays, but, people signal those things through all sorts of other Right. I guess. And maybe that's ways. it, that there's more channels now for, um, you know, sort of whatever, displaying your allegiance to whatever. I mean, think about just how, like, think about going out on the roadways. Yeah. All the signs and stickers and flags and just even the way your vehicle's outfitted. Yeah. You know, people are really looking to send that message of, you know, what clan they belong to hopefully it's not with a k <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, was that a faux pas uh, it was like a freudian slip a freudian slip yes yes <laughs> that's exactly that that was a freudian slip because uh you know unfortunately that's kind of you know where a lot of that stuff leads yeah yeah, and on both sides, you know, on both um, sides. On all sides, um, yes, extremism. That's just the easiest one to, to point out. Yeah. Um, yeah, back then, you you didn't have your uh, horse and buggy with a, mm -hmm. a George Washington sticker on the back. Right, right. So, um, you know, I suppose if you could afford, like, a new piece of furniture, um, you wouldn't go for something that screamed European influence. Right, because when people come to your house, they think, oh, man, what's up with Rob? He's got yeah. this freaking Carolina... Yeah, was he a loyalist? Yeah, right. Um, you know, so you'd want something of the federal period. you want something with an eagle emblazoned on it. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, so, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so... 
What do you see as far as traditional revival and the federal period? What you see any links there? Like if you think in your mind's eye, um, like in terms of like the signaling or anything like that. Yeah, I I tend to see it more like the colonial actually. If we were like wrapping it up, yeah. I mean, to me, like I I really think of like that Queen Anne kind of style when I think of this this traditional revival mm. stuff. Yeah, um, it is a little frou-frou, you know, it's got a lot going on. Yeah, um, definitely, I guess the carvings are more akin to like sort of the colonial stuff, these flat, more flat kind of things, but mm -hmm. a lot of kind of bulbous turnings and, uh, you know, all like the the scrolled aprons and stuff from the Queen Anne. Yeah, um, I couldn't find any real surviving examples of like traditional revival of that time period, like the 1920s to the 1950s yeah. that exemplified federal period furniture. Right. You know, with those tapered legs and how they have like the marquetry on the legs for the nicer pieces, yeah. you know, the contrasting veneer work. Cause that little scalloped mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know what you call that, that relief that starts, you know, like six inches up from the bottom of the leg and goes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe they're, they're so dumbed down and they've been, <laughs> you know, mixed with probably, and this is, I haven't really seen uh, things that are that old, like twenties to fifties, but thinking more about the furniture I saw in my childhood, like the nineties, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, things that were mixed but, you know, thin tapered legs mixed with a sort of a more uh, Victorian thing with, you know, I think it just got so mashed up that. Yeah, I mean, calling something traditional revival pretty much leaves you open to just about anything. Yeah, it's like transitional style. Transitional, exactly. Um, because everything is traditional in in that sense like it just means that it predates whatever right right it was that's sort of what that word has come to mean yeah not like there was a tradition of some sort but that it it's you know it's older mm -hmm. um yeah the federal style i i see more um that's more of like a reproductions yeah. game for me like a a more high end yes kind of thing I agree. I mean, because it, it tends to be a little bit um, lighter furniture. Yeah. Not something, you know, that I I picture with the traditional revival. That stuff's heavy. Yeah. You know, that's durable. That's, you know, when they started having things like the family room and the den. Yeah, like heavy, know? solid oak kind of furniture. You know, no, no veneer work like you would see on most federal style stuff i mean the federal style doesn't translate well into like cheaply made because right i mean it was marked by veneer work contrasting veneer yes. stuff like that so it's kind of hard to do that on the cheap and make it still look like federal furniture yeah when i when i think about the now we had uh a dining room growing up that the chairs um had thin tapered legs on them so that might, you know, be the closest thing I could think of. That was the dining room that we weren't allowed to go in. You know, did you have one of those growing up? No. We had, no, because it was, you had to go through it to get to the living room. We had a dining room that you weren't allowed to be in. Yeah. It was like for company. Mm -hmm. And um, you've heard, of course, uh, the famous Italian uh, tradition of putting plastic on the furniture. Oh, yeah. I got my... <laughs> my family growing up didn't do that but there was family within the family that did yeah. well my mother mostly the old older aunts yes my mother had this stuff um it was like plastic runner so it was sort of like this soft plastic kind of well runner with like little spikes on the bottom oh, that would yeah, stick yeah, to yeah. carpet that's like what you used to put under like the computer desk yeah and she, it was rolled out in the, in the house. With the spikes up. No, no. <laughs> Don't walk here. It was to show you where you were allowed to go. And there was no 
runner into the dining room. <laughs> we had this sort of like L shape where it was the dining room and a, a fancy living room that was like an L. And that's where our um, traditional revival furniture oh, yeah. lived. And my two uncles were upholsterers. So they upholstered this furniture in... I can still see it to this day. It was like this deep green and gold. Uh, like, you know, like those curls in the paisley pattern. Mm -hmm. And it was like velvet oh raised up over like a, like a cream colored background. <laughs> Living the American dream. <laughs> and my mother made drapery long floor ceiling to floor drapery for the big windows in the same fabric oh my god <laughs> I wouldn't want to sit on it even if I was allowed to can you tell we were an immigrant family that made it yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? That was, that's the cla that that. So we're talking about the '70s, yeah. of course. I mean, it goes back to the same thing as the federal. It's signaling, you know. Yes. It's, look, you know, came here and and we made something of ourselves. That I mean, we're classic immigrant, first generation mm -hmm. parents. You know, I mean, my mom was born there, you know, so I guess technically I'm first generation. But you know, she grew up here. Yeah, you know, only half a pot to piss in, but you got to right. make sure that you have nice living room and yeah, exactly. And it it really said, you know, we've arrived. Mm -hmm. We we're we're um, success story now. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's what traditional revival was all about. Yeah, you know, trying to you know the people that that. Um, bought it and loved it were kind of you know living their own success story in yeah. a way the heiress they were you know trying to uh feel like the aristocracy of mm -hmm. of times past so maybe traditional revival is really the middle class um version of you know the, this american furniture you know getting Getting your piece of these, yeah, of these, you know, more sought after um, pieces. Yeah, and you know, you can imagine like after World War II, you got like your Levittown and mm -hmm. stuff like that. All these, you know, suburbia exploding, and people needing to fill their homes with something, and they feel special because they're they finally own a home, and they want to you know, feel like they're somebody. So mm -hmm. they buy these things that are, um, you know, that they relate with, with, you know, people of the past who were somebody right. has had something, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I, you know, after we've like come full circle on traditional revival, I kind of have more of like a warm, fuzzy feeling for it. Yeah. When you think about it, you know, you think about what our parents were trying to do mm -hmm. and, you know, create something nice and feel, uh, you know, successful and. Yeah. Hmm. We're converts. <laughs> it's funny how like talking out loud about this stuff and just, yeah. you know, discussing it, how you, you, you come, come away with uh, a little bit more. Uh, admiration for something. Yeah, I couldn't have predicted this uh, path of. No, no, no. Start out full cynics. Like, yeah, you this know. is horrible. Well, you know, if you focus on the the production methodology and sort of like you know the lack of innovative design, as opposed to the end user, mm -hmm. you know, then we can be cynical and say, you know, this stuff sucks. Right. But if you think about the end user. And it, the reasoning behind, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a better story. Yeah. Um, interesting, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. There you go. So there we have uh, our traditional revival. Yeah, I think that's all we got on that. Um, 
Remind you guys to uh, head over to Bits and Bits, help support the podcast. You can get yourself some vesting finish. You can get yourself some myoderm, get rid of those uh, aches and pains. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you else? haven't checked it out since uh, you heard about it last week, mm -hmm. if you did, do it. Do it. I mean, yeah. it's it works. I mean, it definitely works. Um, I think you can get it at places locally, too, if you live, like, by a GNC or something yeah, like that. Yeah, GNC sells it. I think Dick's Sporting Goods sells it. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't use your coupon code there. No. Um, although I did see, I think GNC had it, like, buy one, get one 50% off. Yeah. Which, that's a pretty good deal. That's, like, 25% yeah. off. Um, but, yeah, you can uh, you can check out the Instagram, the Patreon, the YouTube channel, all that stuff. Links are in, in the description. Uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a big help. Oh, you know what? I should say this. If this is happening, this is coming out next Friday, right? Yeah, the... Uh, what's today? Today's the 16th, 17th, 20th. That'd be the 24th? 24th? Yeah. If you're in the vicinity of Belmar, New Jersey... Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Smoking Hot Band, the new Soul Rebellion, playing for free, uh, 9th and Main Streets in Belmar, New Jersey... What, uh, what day? Uh, Friday, the 24th of uh, June. Oh, wow. Rob's the singer and guitar player of this band. You don't know. <laughs> he also writes all the songs. 6 to 8 p.m. Wow, two-hour set. Yeah, hold up. there's going to be a break in the middle, but uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, take a nap uh, that day. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell Allie. We're gonna, to clear my we're schedule. Gonna, we're gonna we're gonna have to take a. I have to be down there at four o'clock. I didn't tell you, so we're gonna oh, have yeah, to. You're gonna have to leave at about twelve with yeah. the beach traffic. Oh my god! Don't even say. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, took me. Yeah, it's bad. Oh god. Yeah. Luckily, Belmar's not that far. You could take Ocean. Can Ave. I take? Yeah, I'll take the streets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you heard it here first. You want to see Rob play live? Yeah. Friday the twenty fourth. Belmar, New Jersey. You can always reach out to us if you need more info. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, we'll see you next week. We're going to get into uh, what? The modern, modern mid-century modern. Mid modern. Yeah, refer to as mid-century modern. MCM. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Take care, everybody.